today on Yellowstone Tetons Travel Podcast. They pulled the guns out. It was a red Chevy S10 with tinted windows. The whole We were fishing this bank right next to the road at the end of the canyon, and somehow this car got by, and the guy said, Justin, turn the boat. I need to get a clean shot. And he's pulling out this M4 and racking it, and I'm thinking, I, I almost pooped my pants. I, I thought, it's going to go down. They were chattering on radios and like some cool space phone all in code, Red Eagle Blue, Red Eagle Blue, Sniper 9 coming in left side, south. Justin Hayes on one of his craziest guide trips ever, cutthroat trout, salmon flies, twitching, and the Secret Service today on Traveled. Welcome to Traveled, where it's all about the journey we are all on in fly fishing and in life. This is our chance to take a deep dive into a specific area around the country so you have a better feel for the people, the resources, and community that make this part of the country so unique. Before we jump into it with our guest, we want to share the love with our traveled sponsor. This podcast is powered by Swing Outdoors and the Wet Fly Swing Podcast and Yellowstone Teton Territory. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now. That's T-E-T-O-N. And if you get a chance to take a look and check out all the uh, resources, lodges, hotels, food, businesses, anything there you can support... Uh, you are supporting this podcast at the same time. This week, Justin takes us into the South Fork of the Snake River and some of the favorite hatches and some of his best pro tips today. We break down the river step-by-step. We talk about the best sections to fish. We get into techniques and all of the above. Justin has one of the great lodges on the river, and he is just a uh, was a great guest. Uh, I'm excited to share this one with you today because... Uh, Justin is, he's got that passion, that, uh, visceral, uh, stuff that you're going to hear in a little bit. So, uh, so time to experience the road less traveled. Here we go. Justin Hayes from the lodge at Palisades Creek. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing great, Dave. Thank you so much for, uh, allowing me to do this with you today. I feel pretty lucky. Yeah, man. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I think um, like a lot of these things, sometimes it's a little bit of a, a time uh, challenge to get because we got all this going. And you, I'm, I'm just guessing you're probably pretty busy because we're it's July now. We're going into, you know, kind of the we're in the summer. It's probably pretty busy out there. So we're going to talk about everything you have going. You've got this lodge, which I know has won awards. So you've got some good stuff going behind you. And you're in one of these places, which is known around the country, around the world as, you know, it's one of the meccas for trout. So we're going to talk trout. We're going to talk South Fork. Uh, we're going to dig into it. But before we get into all that, take us back real quick to fly fishing. How did you first get into this? What was your first memory? And then how did you take it into uh, running a, a lodge there? Okay, so that's an hour uh, right there. All right. Uh, we can talk <laughs> about But I'll surmise it into a two-minute deal. All right. I was born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, we fished the lakes there growing up for walleye, you know, and pike and bass and uh, my family is the restaurant business, and essentially, I uh, graduated from high school, got a job in Yellowstone National Park that summer, got turned on to mountains, to fly fishing, backpacking, hiking, went to uh, college in Wisconsin, got a degree in hotel restaurant management, and ended up coming to Jackson Hole. I was a chef for many years. And I had a mentor, this guy by the name of Brad Sutton. And uh, Brad's actually uh, 
I'm, he's across the street right now. This was 35 years ago. Oh, wow. And he took me under his wing and was an avid fisherman and hunter and showed me the, showed me the way. And uh, my first memory fly fishing on the South Fork of the Snake was with him standing in hip deep water in a raft that we had to blow up and deflate every time we put on and took off the river. And it was then, and I remember it as I'm visioning it right now when I'm talking to you, Dave, standing in that river waist deep, casting to rising cutthroat trout. They could, they were everywhere besides us, behind us, in front of us. They were actually taking refuge behind our legs. Wow. And I thought to myself, this is it. This is my path. This is where I want to be for the rest of my life. And Amazing. slowly but surely, that transpired. I was a chef for many years, as I mentioned, and moved to the front of the house, opened some restaurants in the area. Somewhere during that part of my journey, one of my waiter buddies, Dean Burton, used to come in from guiding and he'd wait tables at nights and he always had a hundred dollar bill in his pocket. Nice. And I was like, man, I want to do that. <laughs> so I was able to, in 1998, I was hired by the Lodge of Pelosi Creek here to be a fishing guide. And I was over the course of 12 years, I dabbled in a little bit of stuff here and there. And then in 2010, the owner, Marshall Geller called me up and said, Justin, the guy that's managing the lodge now, Stan Classen's retiring. Your peers are putting your name in the hat to mm. be the next manager. Wow. And uh, I was so incredibly flattered. Uh, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And I said, yes, sir. And that was, uh, like I say, 14 years ago. And we've grown this little baby and instilled a culture here that we think, I like to think that our guests sense the the staff's enthusiasm here and it kind of circles into a big huge positive experience both for the crew here and for our guests and our relationship with orvis has really helped us grow and dot our i's and cross our t's and offer an exceptional product right that's a short story no, that's cool. That is a, that is a good short story, and uh, and I love the Orvis. That's always good to get that connection. We've talked a little bit about that over the years. I think that's one of those things that having Orvis right involved is that they are they're kind of like another mentor, right? Like, is that kind of how that works, where they can help you, or maybe you need help to make sure this is the it's, top of the line? Yes, one hundred percent, spot on. We work with a liaison, Tom Evenson, who they come vet us every couple of years, and he has given me so many great insights. And, and, and if there's any lodge or outfitters out there that are struggling with their concept, Orvis, for the, the nominal fee they ask to be an endorsed partner, provides so much support on every aspect, you know, they have a, a wealth of knowledge from all the different lodges they deal with and they've really helped us polish this baby. Yep. That was really cool. No, I think it's a, I think the partnerships, the more you get into this stuff, I think that's what you realize just, it, it just in business or life, you know, I mean, I think that's the successful people are probably the ones that are putting themselves around those people that are, True. are either ahead of them, right. Or are, are good at showing them the way. 
if you're not, you're making a mistake. Yeah, exactly. You're just going to make mistakes. It's going to take you longer. So that, that's cool. So you mentioned West Slope Cutthroat and that experience, right? So you're on the water and I've been there with West Slopes. I remember my first time catching one where you're just like, wow, these fish are just, they're amazing everywhere. They're on the dry. Is that still the thing when you take it to the South Fork? You know, is that still what it's like there? I'm not even sure because I know there's ups and downs with populations. I know there's some things going on with removal of species. What's your take on that? Is West Slope cutthroat still what it's all about for that river? Well, we actually have a a Yellowstone cutthroat here, just a little bit different, a little south of the the West Slopers. Definitely still have them in the river. For me personally, that is the top of the mountain, casting a dry fly, floating along a grassy bank, and seeing that slow, lumbering take, waiting a second for that fly to become submerged, setting the hook, touching, and you're in connection with that fish, the thing that we all as fly fishers crave and understand. Yes, the uh, the, the Yellowstone cutthroat are here. Uh they are decreasing in, in numbers. And our rainbow trout and our hybrid rainbow cutpo are increasing in numbers. And as a result, the Idaho fishing game, under the will of the citizens of Idaho, are trying to help the cutthroat, Yellowstone cutthroat trout numbers rebound and increase. And right now, you can catch, keep, and kill all the rainbow and hybrid trout that you possibly can. Wow. And it's controversial, certainly. Right. Um, they have even gone so far to pool funds with Trout Unlimited and Orvis and the Idaho Fishing Game license sales to put a bounty on rainbow and cutthroats. Wow. You uh, catch one of those, they ask you to keep the fish harvest it, bring the head in, and there is a number two size pencil lead chip in their snout. You can't see it. Mm-hmm. We have tried our, our the guides, not all of ours, but all the guides have purchased numerous kind of metal detectors <laughs> to determine <laughs> <All right. laughs> rewards. The rewards, 50 to $1,000. So 50 1000 if you bring in a rainbow, you get 50 bucks. If it has the chip in the snout. Oh, right. And there's a certain, per- what, what percentage of those have a chip? I believe it's about 20%. Okay. So that's that's not bad. 20, the 80, 20, or yeah. So you got a 20% chance. Totally. And it's not just in the big ones. It's in the little ones too. It's in hybrids. It's in the pure rainbows. Wow. This is kind of like a, uh, I think of the, it's kind of funny because the giveaway stuff we do on this podcast with trips you know, it's like people get a chance, right? This, I mean, it's kind of similar to that, right? It's like, wow, I got a chance. And it, the whole thing is incentivizing people to kill more fish, to right, to help recover. The- this is true. Yes. I, as a Minnesotan, you know, we like to smoke them and my family likes to eat them. Uh, we allow our guests to bring one or two in. But I'll be honest with you, Dave, we're, uh, the outfitters are the ones that see these fish the most right and we have failed the citizens of idaho and the idaho fishing game um those guys are sickened by the thought they have to kill what they make their living off of. and i don't blame them right they're killing big rainbows like like because that's thing rainbows and you're, you're not talking browns are there browns there too we do have browns they're not a, a problem 
Okay, they're not enough. So the rainbows. So I mean, and you have, I'm guessing, some big rainbows in there. Oh, baby, yeah, big like do like, we ever monster? Yeah. So that's the challenge. Is that literally you're talking to somebody like some clients come in there and like, oh wow, you know, I got a chance to catch a 25 inch rainbow, and now basically, and I, my guess is Yellowstone cutthroat don't get quite as big. They don't. They still get big. We get 20 plusers all the time. Man, we had a uh, one come off the river yesterday that was 28 inches. Uh, put back in there, of course. All cutthroats get released but yeah we get some big jumping rainbows our guests have said justin we don't know or care what color they are i'm paying big bucks i want to go home with some pictures and some memories yep don't kill that thing yeah that's it i know so that that is the challenge and i mean that's a whole like you said that's a whole uh, episode probably multiple episodes to talk about that but yep May, yep, maybe we'll leave that. I think what we will have to do is maybe leave that for a, a future episode to maybe bring on people that are, you know, involved in that, that whole process. It sounds like Orvis and there's a bunch of people, but, um, but yeah, let, let's talk currently because I mean, we are actually going to be coming out there, um, this fall. That's another cool thing. And, uh, and we're going to be fishing it. We've got, uh, we're doing, this is actually our Euro nymphing school, which is kind of, kind of awesome because it's something that, um, you know, there's obviously a little controversy there too, even with the the comp stuff. But a lot of people are into Euro niffing, right? And so I just listened to our listeners on the podcast, and people are like, "Hey, we want to do this." So we got to, we're heading up there with Pete Erickson, oh, and and his team, right? And so we got Such this cool, great guy. yeah, Pete's awesome, and we got this great crew. We got small little group. This is just kind of like a hosted trip. We've got six people that kind of paid to come on. We have one winner who won this massive giveaway. So we got these seven people. We're going there, and we're gonna be fishing the South Fork. So what I was hoping today was to dig into a little bit of the South Fork. So people, you know, not only those that are on that trip, but the other people listening now that maybe are thinking about hitting the South Fork, if they can kind of have a roadmap to, uh, you know, have some action. How's that sound to you? Sounds great. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Good. So, and I think obviously you guys, there's a lot of great resources out there. We've talked to a number of them, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, after at the end of this, just that roadmap is a good chance for people to just, you know, have a little more um, intel before they jump into it. So let's start. I always like to kind of start when I can at the um, circle through the year. So if we think about we're coming up there, our plan is to come towards the end of the season, right? But let's think right now. So it's it's July, we're going to be August, it's summertime. When people are coming in now, is this, uh, take us there. What, what is going on? I know there's a lot of different places to hit. What, what do you recommend if somebody says, hey, I want to go fish in the South Fork? What do you tell them? Well, one of the major things that people have to realize is, you know, we are just below Palisades Reservoir. It's a 26-mile reservoir. That Palisades Dam, completed in 1957, is there for flood control and agriculture. So, We try to fill that reservoir to 100% in July 1st. This makes um, the releases during this time for agriculture high. It's difficult to wade fish this river right now. Anything, uh, we're flowing at 13,200 cubic feet per second today. Anything below 6,000 CFS, the public can access the bottom of the river. Idaho has favorable laws for us fishermen where the high water mark uh, from one side to the other side of the river is public. And once you get in there, you can walk up and down and wade fish. That typically happens late fall, meaning October, after irrigation demand through the winter. This river is open all year round. This river is available for bait fishermen, 
spin fishing, us fly fishermen, all year round as well, which makes it just so amazing. We have about 4,000 fish per mile right now. That fluctuates. It, it was 5,700 here a couple of years ago, um, but it's always, uh, you know, 4,000 plus. So in the low flow, we're an amazing uh, nymph fishery. You know, in the spring, we use our worms and eggs. Uh, we just transitioned after this big, long winter out here and cool temperatures. Uh, we're just transitioning now to our dry flies, dry dropper. Typically, Dave, this is like, what, it's the 10th of July. This is like the bullseye for salmon flies. Oh, it is. So this is usually salmon fly right now. It is today and maybe the guy you know we had 12 bolts go out this morning i'll get the report uh, eagerly waiting for the return it's supposed to explode any second now oh, wow. we're looking for 56 degree water temps we're there but it's it just hasn't erupted yet we're we've got uh pmds little pinkies we've got uh, a little size uh eight golden stone or excuse me size 16 golden stone and then we have these number two terranarsis californica these salmon flies which are breakfast lunch and dinner as you know yep and yep. they're they're moving we're we're getting them on the nymphs really good right now of course you know we're a drift fishery so we're we're floating down the banks and uh trying to hit some deep runs tucking our dry droppers and we're doing a, a large salmon fly dry right now, hanging off probably 16 inches below. Two little, oh, either a you know golden stone nymph or a PMD nymph. I cast to some emerging, some cutties eating some emerging PMDs three days ago, which just warms my heart watching these fish dart around just subsurface with the rocks below and that gin clear water wow. and the bugs are flying and emerging and they specifically targeted this one part of that life cycle when they were just emerging into the surface film. Oh, right. Beautiful. Wow. And these were the Yellowstone cutties, the Yellowstone cut. These, yeah. Yep. Which are similar, which are very, are they very similar to the West slope as far as their act? Action they are. On the, yeah. Yep. In cold water, like it is right now, they fight like all get out, splash around, jump. Cutty sometimes get a bad rap for being lazy or sluggish. Man, I've only seen that when the water gets really warm in late August in a low water year. But those, they, they tug now. Plus, in that current, bend that rod, baby. It's so awesome. Right. Yeah. Because the, the because the, like you said, this is not small water. This is, uh, big what what would be the low what would be say october early october what would flows look like then oh anywhere between six and three thousand cfs by the end of october we hit our winter flow target and it's 900 cfs through the winter through the winter so pretty and that's the cool thing about having the tailwater is that they can keep it standard so it's not dropping down to 100 you got it. You got it. We're fighting for uh, even a couple more hundred CFS organizations like the Henry's Fork Foundation, the South Fork Initiative. We're really trying to work with ag. They've made some great progress up on the Henry's Fork, and uh, we're hoping to kind of follow in their footsteps and 
work with ag certainly you know what we realize fighting isn't the solution yeah but managing together and working together we can make sure that those families get what they need and us recreationals can get our side too Exactly. I think that's the thing that, you know, I think we're all, we all are learning, right? And we all should learn, you know, you look at the, the national politics and stuff and it's like, man, this is a great example of a mini version, right? It's like, if you're fighting ag against whoever, right? Against the fishermen back and forth. I mean, it's just never going to be a win. And, And eventually the stuff goes into lawsuits, right? And then it's even worse. Totally. And that's the cool thing about what I'm hearing. I, and we had um, the Henry's Fork Foundation on. We did an episode with them. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. It was a great one. And, and that's the same thing we heard there is that like, hey, we're, we're working together. You know, it's not perfect, but like that's, that's the way we're going to get this done. So I think that's pretty cool to hear. It's nice to know too. I think once you kind of take the armor off, there's a lot of people, farmers, if you will, people involved in ag, sprinklers, canal companies, they like to fish too. Exactly. You know, and if we can approach the conversation in a non-threatening way, it can be a win-win for, for both, really. Just got to talk it out. I agree. I agree. That's awesome. And get well, science involved. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you definitely need you need the science. And I think the cool thing is, is that we don't know everything. So I think there's a lot of part of the discussion is that they, you, you learn stuff and you're like, oh, and they learn stuff. It's like, oh, okay, we could actually do this type of different water withdrawal and it actually maybe benefits us and benefits the fish. You know, that's the tech stuff yeah. and the science that yeah. actually is the great part of it. It's interesting to me how you said it how little we actually really do know. Yep. You know, we, my fishing guys, uh, they're, called, they're experts in their field and like to think they understand biology uh, and life cycles. Sometimes I think once we present scientific information, we can guide them into a different way of thinking about the resource. Uh, you look about, you know, what's happening in Yellowstone Lake with the lake trout invasion up there. And uh, they're making great steps to get the cutthroat restored and the lake trout numbers reduced. And that, that fishery, is, it's going to come back. But, boy, did it cost a lot of money. Oof. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's some, some big bucks. That's science. Exactly. We're learning. Well, let's look at the um, – so you mentioned – and we're talking – obviously, these are two things. we got the Henry's Fork, the South Fork Snake. Let's bring it back because we've done a lot on the Henry's Fork. Take us to – just the river and let's again somebody's brand new they don't know this where does the where does the henry's fork how does it connect with the south fork you know and talk about that a little bit just to put us in perspective and then where yeah. your where your lodge is right so the snake river or river originates in southern yellowstone national park it flows through jackson hole about 47 miles we've referred to that as the upper snake it confluences with a another trip called the Hoback and then flows through about 25 miles of the Snake River Canyon into Palisades Reservoir. And at that spot, it leaves Wyoming and enters Idaho. As the river comes out of Palisades Reservoir, we start to refer to it as the South Fork. Lots of people don't understand or know that the Henry's Fork originally was called the North Fork, Mm. and we are the South Fork. The South Fork flows for about 66 miles from Palisades Dam to the confluence with the Henry's Fork, and then uh, that happens just above Idaho Falls, Idaho, and we refer to the river after that as the Main Snake. 
Yeah, that's it. So that's the confluence. That's the big confluence. Yep. Out to the ocean. That's it. That's the cool thing again about this big picture thing because you you zoom in on where you guys are at, you know, at the lodge, which is right at uh, just kind of just what north of Palisades, the actual town. Yeah, we're just a little north of the town of Palisades. That's mostly comprised of people that work at the dam. We're four miles below Palisades Dam in the town of Irwin, which is in Swan Valley, Idaho, about 62 miles from Jackson Hole and 49 miles from Idaho Falls, Idaho. Right. That's it. So there's, so it's a big, it's cool because it's a big river. And even if you look bigger picture, I mean, the cool thing is, yeah, you start up in, you know, Yellowstone National Park, it kind of flows out of this amazing place. And then, I mean, the Snake River is this massive river that flows through Idaho and eventually all the way out, you know, into the Columbia. And we've done a lot of episodes up in the upper Columbia. I mean, it's just this, I mean, basically it's draining when you look at, when you scan out in the U.S., it's draining like a whole north, northwestern part of the United States, essentially. It really right? is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's yep. this cool thing. And you guys are right on the cusp of the the Continental Divide, right? How far is that? Where do you, how far do you have to go, again, for people that are new, maybe listening on this, how far to get over to the other side of the Continental Divide. Where is that? The closest part probably of getting across the Continental Divide would be up at Henry's Lake, which is about a two and a half hour drive. Reynolds Pass over there is on the divide. You also can access the divide down by Pinedale, Wyoming in the Green River and South Pass uh, down there. We're, uh, yeah, we're West Slope. We're West Facing. So here's a question. This is just kind of a random question I just was thinking about. So the interesting thing is, you know, Steelhead is, you know, we've done a lot of Steelhead stuff and, you know, Steelhead historically, I'm guessing, I don't even know, did they historically come up into that area or were there natural barriers that maybe Idaho Falls was a natural falls or something? Sure. It's actually Shoshone Falls. Oh, Shoshone, uh, right. It's a natural barrier, kind of close to Twin Falls, Burley, Idaho down there. So we never had the- uh, we never had them. No. The, uh, the ocean creatures. You never had them. But the cool thing is, is well, and again, I, I don't know, but you know, you, you've got the rainbows in there that were planted. That's the whole thing. They planted those back in the day just because, you know, why not, right? The rainbows plant them everywhere. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So we got that. So we got a little bit on where you guys are at and your lodge. So if somebody was coming in here and they wanted to fish, let's just say they had a drift boat. Is there a big difference between, hey, I got a drift boat. I don't on what parts of the river you would you would recommend they fish? Certainly. I mean, you know, number one, you want to have some experience on your drift boat. We don't have a lot of, you know, class five rapids. We have none, but there's a couple, just a couple turns and some hydraulics and some bridges. You want to be proficient. We had a couple, three guys in a, a drift boat about a week ago. I don't know what happened. They just lost. They went into a great feeder diversion. Luckily, they were okay. The boat made it out. Oh, wow. But it was very dangerous. And I think by looking at a video, they got hung up tying or untangling something. Maybe an oar popped out of the oar lock. I, I, there, I saw a, a video of this incident. So, so if you've got some experience, a year of experience, and you can read water, and you're and you're wise and stay in the thal wag, yep. you can fish this river no problem. Okay. And there's plenty of fabulous camping 
you know, answering your question about the South Fork, uh, we divide the river, the, the state does from an outfitting perspective into five sections. Each section is roughly 12 miles long. The upper first section has five access points, plenty of parking, plenty of shuttle companies, developed ramps. It's a, a great place to start fishing. It's a tamer flow, less bends after that 12 mile first section there. And is this, Justin, just to interrupt you, is this the, yeah. the upper, does that start at the base of Palisades? Uh, yes, it does. Near, yeah, near the town of Palisades or the little town there, yeah. Yep, right okay. there. There's an easy-to-find uh, access point right at uh, the dam. And the, uh, in that upper section, we have this amazing waterfall called the Fall Creek Falls. Very popular, very scenic, fun to swim. It makes a lot of people's memories and, and their picture galleries for sure. The second and third sections, the next 24 miles after the first section is our canyon section. And Dave, I can't wait for you to come out and see it. It is incredibly gorgeous. It is great fishing. No signs of humanity, oh, no wow. homes, no wow. roads, killer campsites. If that is regulated. They ask you to have a, a, a burn pan and a, mm -hmm. and a potty situation. Sure, sure. But still free to camp. Just got to register first That's come, first serve. And the fishing uh, in these second and third sections, the river starts to braid more. There's more features, log jams. There's more drop-offs, undercut banks, grassy. And this is where the salmon fly hatch is today. All right. So that's, oh, it's moving its way. Is it moving its way up river or down? It is. Yeah. Yeah. On our system, generally speaking, because all this is part science, part myth, part, you know. Right. Um, it's about four miles a day. Generally, it moves up. Oh, and, okay. And uh, it's moving a little slowly through the canyon this year, which is great. That's going to extend our opportunities uh, fishing with big dry flies. And then uh, the fourth section is begins near the town of Ryrie and it goes another 12 miles and kind of enters this ag flat you can't tell because the, the the farmers have left the trees up our, our amazing cottonwood galleries some of the largest in the western United States are in this section down here even more braiding even more trash piles trash of course meaning not garbage yeah. but stumps wood. and wood and debris all happy places for oh, yeah. our trout friends and it's fun to target these these casts into these and behind these areas it gets a little technical it's fun to anticipate wow. and see Ooh, there's a, a slot down here by this dead tree there gotta be in there and you lay Man. your cast at the hot top of that lip. and you're doing this as your drift is all out of the boat totally yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There are islands and gravel bars to get on and uh, and do that type of fishing as well. But generally speaking, we're we stop a little bit here and there for lunches and let people walk around. But we're we're fishing out of the drift boat. Yep. Yeah, you're out of the drift boat. This is cool. Yeah. So that's the three. So that's the and I'm trying to figure out like uh, just looking here. So when would the the next four, the fourth section where what would be the nearest town to where that begins? Yeah, that tends to start near um, Ryrie, 
and then go down to the Lorenzo Bridge oh, on yeah. Highway 20. 20. Right. And just uh, just past the Lorenzo Bridge on that fifth section, which is only about six or seven miles, Lorenzo to Manan, that's where the confluence with the, uh, the Henry's happens. Gotcha. And there's a lot of columnar basalt down there and lava. Okay. And uh, kind of gets out into a desert right there. Still good fishing. Right on. And I'm looking, I just randomly, I was looking at the map. I was like, okay, you got Yellowstone Bear World. That looks interesting. I mean, I've got two <laughs> kids, an eight, 11 and an 8-year-old. We do it every year because oh, really? when can you go drive up to a bunch of bears and a yeah. bunch of cool elk? And it's, it is kind of gimmicky, but sure. it's really popular because you're not guaranteed to see animals if you go to Yellowstone in this right. outfit. Allows you to feed these bears. They have these special trucks that elevate you and protect you. And oh wow! It's 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 cool to do once a year. I have to add. That I've been thinking maybe putting together a trip with the family and the kids, and I think that uh, there's some cool stuff. This might be have to be one of those destinations we swing by right off the highway, right right off twenty. Yeah, Dave. I mean, if you come, how old are your kids? Nine and eleven. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. We we got that. Yeah. So take them whitewater rafting. For sure. Yeah. And uh, you got to go check out Bear World. It's a great half-day thing. There's Heisey Hot Springs with zip line around here. Horseback oh, yeah. tours go, yeah. That's the cool thing about what you realize. That I've been I've been doing a lot of the Eastern Idaho stuff here. And yeah, I mean, it's cool because it's not just the fishing. I mean, you, you've, and there is obviously some cool places, but all sorts of different stuff. It's really just outdoor. It's all these outdoor activities. It feels like that that's yep. it's pretty diverse. Is that how it feels like for you? It sure is, man. It's always, you know, a balance running this seasonal business through the summers, trying to get time off to do these amazing things with the wife and kids. And and I'm taking more time at this window. As I think you probably know what I'm talking about. These oh, yeah. are the golden years when the kids are I still know. cool with being around the parents. Yeah. You know, we are in a very family-driven community around here um, with the LDS population. And much to their incredible credit, they create opportunities for families to do all sorts of super fun stuff. Yeah, right. That's it. God, it's so you cool. Let me know when you come out. I will. I got a list of cool things for you to do with the kids. I'm going to definitely hit you up, including, uh, yeah, I'll swing by, the, swing by the place and check in. But uh so this is good. I love this. So we got a primer on the river, you know, basically the area. So if we're thinking, I mean, all these look great. It sounds like the canyon. I mean, they all have their own cool parts of the float. What would you, what would be the place? And, and is there bank access? I mean, could people drive up and fish the river? Are people doing that? It's There are some spots. And if you want to know those spots, they kind of vary with the flow. I would recommend you call our fly shop. We have two of them, one in Swan Valley and one up here in Irwin. Oh, wow. And there's some other great outfitters that fish these area rivers, the Teton, the Henry's, whether it be Henry's Fork Anglers, Worldcast. There's some, call the fly shop. They have the up to the minute beta on where to access on that day and that time. And there is limited access in the summer. When you come here in the October, you'll be like, Justin. There's tons of places to wait and walk around here, but the flows will be considerably less and you'll be able to access that, that main channel. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. Okay. That's it. So later in the season, yeah, when it gets down. Certainly the upper section tends to offer more of those walk and wait opportunities, less in that 24 mile Canyon section. 
which is broke up into two 12 miles, of course. And more down low by Heisey for waiting, Heisey Hot Springs in the town of Heisey. Gotcha. And is there a place where people could go and just rent uh, a raft or a drift boat if they're coming in there? Yep. Yep. You can Google that. There's a couple of different places that rent those uh, rafts and drift boats. So, yep. I don't know the number off the top of my head. But yeah. yeah I, I think I saw one of them out there. We'll put a link to that, those in the show notes as well. So this is good. So we got a little bit of opportunity, the South Forest Sink. And I, I mean, I'm just going to think of this as we're coming in on more of a guided trip because I think that'll be the best place because there's probably going to be some overlap here on, you know, insects and things like that. But let's take it there. Let, let's start right now. So we got the stonefly hatch coming in. It seems like it's coming in a little bit later. Once it happens, how long does that thing hang around? About two weeks. It's about a two week deal. Last year we had this, they were eating big bugs into September. Oh, wow. Something, yeah. We have another hatch right after the salmon fly hatch, which is a large, like, number four golden stone. And they really target those. Those golden stones hatch in the wee hours of the morning. Really nice to throw a big dry fly early in the morning. Our PMDM hatch picks up. Our Sally, which we used to call them Sally's, but now they're more of a golden stone. The Sally had a red butt on it. These aren't having red butts right now. Um, Another interesting thing that I don't understand about the life of everything. Right. Uh, (laughs) So so as the summer progresses here, this is going to be the hot action for the next three to four weeks. And then we enter hopper season. Oh, and hoppers. And our grasshoppers, another wonderful big dry fly, the Dave's hopper. There's a million different kinds, and they seem to get a little more favorable to one with a longer leg or a bigger hackle or something again that we can't quite understand but hopper season's coming in august wow we end uh, august the end of august we start seeing cooler nights in september early september we see snow periodically it doesn't stick but it cools things off we get a mutant stonefly hatch these these stoneflies that can't fly and we love to skitter those at sunrise across a flat or under a overhanging bush and twitch them out oh it's an aggressive eat wow and then we start kind of getting into our comparadons and our duns as september progresses our blue winged olives on cloudy days you know for your listeners a pro tip from uh from us here is uh if you can somehow and i know we don't have control of our schedules but overcast days low pressure systems in july and august cause things to pop I mean, if you can get out there on a little rainy day and you got some gear you can wear, the fishing can oftentimes be exponentially better. We get locked into these high pressure systems and sunny for weeks. Right. Makes it a little hard sometimes. That's cool. All right. So you got, yeah, you guys got it all going pretty much throughout the, all the summer. And then as you get into October, you start to lose some of the dries, right? But what are the ones in early October you might still have a chance at? Yeah, sulfur duns, uh, blue-winged olives. We still twitch hoppers out there. You know, I didn't get into really talking about streamer and the streamer game, which is super effective. You know, from an outfitting perspective, we don't often go the streamer route with with dudes unless somebody rolls in and says, you know, this is my game, this is what I do. Right. Then here we hand them a piece of meat and uh, tie it on to their OX and 
have them yank on it and that's very effective <laughs> yeah that's right that's the the, the kelly galp or whoever right there's lots of people lots of big names with the streamer and and the reason that is is that mainly it's just like any of the stuff streamers you're probably not going to hook up into as many fish as you would a dry or nipping totally and it's tricky to teach somebody who's fishing for one or two days you just want to get them you know throwing a nymph rig and not catch them catch themselves or and get that going but certainly if people want to try it's very effective interesting to me dave young people are really into the streamer game mm. i think mm-hmm. it's fabulous it is yeah. yeah and they eat them you know october again is brown trout go into the spawn and sometimes we we target their aggression uh, with streamers and that's super oh. effective collared up browns browns gotcha. in low water it's fun Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, Idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing, from the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between. Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to Eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com slash Teton. Let's just take it again back on the water. So if we were out there, the sand flies are going um, and you're floating down the boat. Take us there. What does that look like? We put in on these floats. Take us to a day in the you know a, a day or a half a day of floating. What does that feel like out there? Sure. Yeah. So typically, till noon can be slow, slower. Once the heat, the sun comes up, the bugs, the rock walls, the grass dries off from the dew. That's when we see our adults starting to take flight. And, you know, the cycle, they, they, they look for a boy looks for a girl and a girl looks mm-hmm. for a boy and they do their thing in midair together. <laughs> lasts a few seconds, probably just like me. Right, just right, exactly. I didn't say that. Yeah, <laughs> right. uh, but uh, the trick to this, the salmon fly thing is throwing a large dry fly on 2X underneath a bush or a tree and twitching it out and try to mimic the real life cycle of that adult salmon fly that walked out of the bottom of the river, crawled up the bank onto a tree or onto a piece of grass, and they dry their wings off and fall into the river. And then they flutter and try to recover as they're going down the river and to mimic that with a fly. Tight tucks, we tell people, it needs to be two inches off the bank, not five, not one, two inches, and then twitch it out towards us, and it drives them nuts. And for so many of us dry fly fishermen, that target practice of getting it underneath there, side casting, in the air mens, if you can get that, and it's so rewarding it, wow. to see that that take and they're in fast water too along rock walls and you want to get it right at that l of the water meeting the rock wall and drift right there and you know what we tell people you're gonna lose some flies this is this is you gotta get in there you gotta twitch it too and you gotta manage your line and not have a ton of slack out there for the hook set how do you do that when you're 
So basically you got this wall, let's say you're coming down, you got this wall you, and you get it as close as you can to the wall. I mean, you might even maybe touch the wall and bang it off and it drops right in front sort of thing. Is that? Exactly. And then when you twitch it, describe the twitch because I can imagine somebody twitching, they might be pulling it away from the wall. How do you do that right? Exactly right. It's a, it's a process. The twitch can happen on a mend or it can happen tight lined, but it has to be two inches it moves and then it rests two inches and rests gotcha. or three inches right. maybe to give them a chance to eat it. Yep. 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 They, they want to see it. They want to wow. see it and think about it for two seconds and lazily come up and take it. It's not that super fast water. And that's, yeah, you just, just throw a mend in there and then either wiggle the tip of your rod. That's a great way to twitch as well. Just wiggle the top with a slow strip so you can bring in some of that slack and then, when the explosion happens, you know, it's a, it's a lift and smile. Right. Lift and smile. And then what is the talk about that with the salmon fly? So this is going to be happening soon and over the next, actually probably by the time this episode goes live, the salmon fly hatch might be over, but this will be out there for a while. So hopefully people will see this next year as well. But so when you get the, uh, you get the, the take, um, talk about a little bit on the first, the fly, what, what fly would you recommend for, what do you guys like for that big salmon fly? Oh man, right now the guys are taken out of our fly bins, water walkers, a, a fly kind of like a circus penis. We call it a, well, there's versions of the chubby, chubby Chernobyl with a wing case. Sometimes we trim that wing back. A lot of times, pro tip number two for you, my friend and your yeah. listeners. Let's hear it. We carry Sharpies. Oh yeah, the Sharpie. Right, we'll sharpie the bottom. We'll sharpie the the nylon wing cases with a little brown to to start the light a little bit. That helps tease them. We're throwing, um, oh, what was that one I had yesterday? Now the name escapes me, but it's a water walker. It's a you know it's a version of Chernobyl ant. Okay, red bottoms, black bottoms, purple bottoms, copper kind of sparkly bottoms are working. Legs twitch it. And I'd imagine as you get into it, you got the salmon flies and then you swing into August and more terrestrials. I, I'd imagine some of those salmon fly kind of match the grasshopper too, right? They could, they certainly, could apply. Yeah. Certainly. Yep. It's a little shorter body on the grasshopper. Uh, that golden stone is a good kind of in between the salmon fly and the hopper as well. Uh, same thing with the golden stone cast in there tight, twitch it, twitch it. Those flies, uh, those larger golden stones and salmon flies. So if we have a foam body one, they're great for hanging our nymphs off of uh, as the day progresses. And maybe the surface action slows down a little bit in the evening. We'll put some PMDs, uh, bead heads on there. This, you know, the game changer for us, these last couple, maybe two years has been the Perdigons. Oh, really? Perdigon, so you're mixing in a little little euro. Yeah, but we won't, you know, we won't long line them like a euro nymphing. We just hang them off of four x from the bend of the hook. Oh, from the bend, yeah, just fishing your right off from a salmon fly or a hopper. Yep, super effective. That fly has changed things. I'll tell you right now, it really super effective for us out here. That's cool. Yeah, the par- the Perdigon. That's. Yeah, that's awesome. So I wanted to chat on that a little bit too. So we got, and then then you get into the uh, like August and then September. You've got you mentioned some of the bugs coming off. Um, remind us again on that. What were some? What were some of the flies? If you had a box you wanted to put together for like your you know kind of August, September, October dry fly box, what would be some of those? Sure, August would definitely have a assortment of hoppers. It would have an assortment of 
ants, not a Chernobyl ant, but you know, the little two bubble two ants uh in black, root beer, uh little wing casing on them works. We also have I uh, forgot about this a, a great caddis hash, brown right. caddis. Uh it's throw those at Elk Hair works fine. Uh caddis pupa in the mornings on riffles, super effective. Then as August kind of moves on, we use smaller uh, hoppers. Then we start getting into our sulfur duns, our comparadons in olive, brown, green. Green zebra midges work great as we kind of get into the colder temperatures of fall. And red zebra midges is with a bead head on them. Super effective hanging those. And then our blue-winged olives. Uh, are very popular as well. We kind we always have PMDs. We always have you know, always. I mean, into once it starts freezing at night, then they kind of wane for sure. And we get more to our uh, sulfur duns and our blueing olives. Okay, and then caddis are caddis going strong? When do they stop? Caddis probably start winding up mid October. You know, we get caddis. You know, there's a morning hatch, and I don't know the the species off the top of my head. There's an evening hatch. Um, you know, pro tip also for this river is for those of you that might visit and uh, be do-it-yourselfers, put on later. This river empties at five o'clock. Oh when wow! The, when the, the a lot of these folks, whether they're private or outfitters, you know, try to fit another event in, whether right. they go to a restaurant, visit somebody, yada yada yada. But you can have that river even today, peak season, to yourself at five o'clock, and it's it doesn't get dark till ten. Oh so yeah, that's a that's a secret that when I hear people kind of frustrated at the traffic, um, which happens <laughs> for a minute. Um, just go later in the day it's a whole nother experience wow yeah and great fishing yeah that's all that's a great that's definitely one of the great tips of the of the year for sure that's a good one so remember that one good all right so we got we're doing good we got some pro tips we got the hatches going and and it sounds like yeah you guys kind of have everything if we were coming there in early october you know right around the corner it's basically pmds bwos caddis i mean all all sorts of stuff still going just not as thick as as it might be in you know correct yeah and then gets to be more what you'll see when you're here in these lower flows and as far as dry fishing you get more selective you float down the river slowly and see heads popping 200 yards down there which is i mean i'm just thinking about this i'm coming with words coming out of my mouth and there's nothing knowing you know this there they are they're eating let's feed one <laughs> and setting up your cast and getting the angle of boat just right thinking right. about the wind and the sun angle and then you put it all together and the line goes tight so you're gonna yeah. have a blast when you're out here that's sweet yeah that's the yeah. cool thing i think it's we've got kind of gonna be the dry fly is gonna be actually kind of the bonus because we're you know, focusing on this Euro nymphing, you know, school sort of thing, you know, but really, I think there will be some opportunities to do some other stuff. Um, the same, same thing with the Euro nymphing. You'll be able to target your water, see the flow, really structure your cast and your presentation to be really effective. Okay. And what do you guys, what's that look like for you? So you mentioned the streamers. Um, what does that look like for nymphing when you guys do, you, are you still doing, is that like 80% of your time is nymphing or is it like 50, 50 dries nymphs? And you got the dry dropper too, so that's kind of a mix too. 
For sure. You know, this depends on the angler. You know, if you've got a brand new 12 year old kid out there, you're throwing a, a hopper and dangling off two nymphs beneath that. If you have a technical person that's more experienced and can cast two small dry flies or one small blue winged olive or sulfur comparadon or something like that and see it too, by the way you know, we'll cater to that person's abilities and their expectations. You know, some people are like, I don't care how many fish I catch. I just want a big one, or I don't care about a big one. I just want to, I just want to bend the rod all day. So we kind of do different techniques to, to accomplish those. That's really cool. That's awesome. And streamer fishing is good too. Yeah. So that's what, I mean, the South Florida snake, I mean, for you, you know, and I've asked this before to some of our other guests, but what is it, you know, that makes it special to you, like this area? It seems like you got everything from the fishing perspective. What keeps you coming back on, on that area? Knowing that they're there always and they're willing to eat. I just have to crack the code. I have, you know, Dave, I got memories from my childhood. I, I never thought I'd be one of these guys that, well, back yeah. in the day, but I'll be 55 this <laughs> oh, summer. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can't believe Amazing. it. Amazing. And uh, I didn't, I started fishing that river, this river, when I was about 19 years old. And I, I just have all these memories of this is where that one time when we caught the big one, this is where we missed the big one on the neck. This is the waterfalls that we all jumped and swam. There's so many fabulous memories and I'm still making them there. The eagles, the ruralness, the wildness of the river. There really isn't a lot of development on this river. You get solitude and peace and the zen that I talk about with our guests of being in the moment when you're out on that river or any river, as you know, if you can turn your phone off, you can't do anything about yesterday. You can't do anything about tomorrow. All you can do is be right there in that moment. And friend, I'm addicted to it. And I'm lucky enough to make a living trying to get people in that place and space. That is cool. Yeah. The, the Canyon always brings it back to me whenever I hear river Canyon, I think, yep. Okay. Time to, there's yeah. not going to be any cell. So the river Canyon section, section two, um, and wh where is the put in? Is there, wh what's the main put yep. in for that one? The big one is at Conant. Conant has a large developed parking area, porta potties. It's got a raft, uh, launch as well as a drift boat. And a jet boat launch too. So, you know, we allow oh, jet wow. boats on this river yep. and they're part of the deal. Idaho is a strong lobby with motorized boat usage sure. and uh, they're out there as well. And uh, so Conan's the one you put in. There's a access in the middle of the canyon, 12 miles down called Fulmer, or we call it Cottonwood, has two names. And uh, that's a long dirt road drive to access, but we use it every single day as others do as well. And then you take out at Byington. That's another. Byington. By, yep. Byington. Byington. Okay, cool. And then. Fully developed. And then when you're in that section, is that a most people are, are they camping in there? Or are they floating through? What are they doing? Half and half. There are tons of public access designated campsites. There are, there's an outfitter bank down there, we call it, where uh, all of us seven outfitters that hold the eight permits for this river. Uh, we have um, overnight camp set up. The Lodge of Palisade doesn't. We don't have an overnight camp set up. 
because we have one on the river in, in Irwin. It just has log cabins, flushing toilets, a killer restaurant, 22 acres. Wow. We've talked about putting a overnight camp up and we've asked our guests about us and they look at me and say, why would we want to stay in a tent and poop in a bucket? Yeah. We're (laughs) right here. (laughs) Right. That's it. I understand. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so pretty much, yeah, you got it all. You can do the overnight camping. And this is the kind of question, you know, I recently, I was on a river trip and you know, I won't mention the uh, the name or the outfit or stuff, but I mean, like river etiquette, you know, I mean, I, we definitely had an experience that really made one of our days a little rough and it was basically some pressure, you know, it was like we were camped at a spot and we, were, we thought we were good. And then throughout the day, multiple people came in, like we're walking through the camp, hanging out in our camp, kind of trying to hold the camp for oh, the next God. day. You know, we were getting, we didn't even know if we were sticking around, but it was just this thing, like it was this really aggressive and they were outfitters. Oh, Sorry to hear that. You know what I mean? They were outfitters and it was just like this whole thing. And and I had my family there and, uh, you know, so I, what's your take on that? Like etiquette? I mean, what is, where do you even start when somebody, I mean, I I mean, how do you guys do it? Like, that's the thing when it's, I guess when there's a lot of people on the river. We have that situation for just a tiny window and it's over July 4th weekend. Other than that, there, like I said, there are designated campsites with signs right on the river easy to access maps are available you are asked to use these sites most of the canyon section where camping happens is on blm or national forest land i've heard of these challenges that you mentioned during this particular weekend fortunately there are islands that do not have designated campsites on that you're welcome to use. There are more spots generally as you go down. I think for the most part, the people that take the time and energy to get to this river to overnight camp have a sense of etiquette. It's unfortunate to see the load of garbage the BLM periodically brings out as they clean these campsites out. It's really mind-boggling to me how people do this but it's becoming less and less common and there is talk and i do believe here soon there will be a small fee and reservation system on the internet for blm forest service to manage these campers etiquette it's what makes the experience for everybody respect space we have a as i mentioned earlier designated spot the outfitters use uh, it's away from, I think it's pretty clear to any non-outfitting person, a private person, that these campsites are for particular use for a particular group of people. And there's wonderful campsites all up and down the river on both sides. And if you don't find the one you want, you will find one. And in a 911, oh my gosh, it's getting dark and we don't have a spot there's islands there's some there's plenty of flat access plenty of public flat access and i think if you're cool and you pick up your stuff if for somehow you do end up on private land accidentally that landowner you know would appreciate just just the leaving no trace and uh wouldn't hassle you off the you know and at this we don't I know there's problems, I'm sure, with, you know, drinking and people being stupid, but it really doesn't make up. This is not the underlying issue. It's It happens 
here and there, but not that big there's of a plenty deal. of room. Yeah. yeah, and I agree. I think part of our, our struggle was is that we were actually on 4th of July weekend too, which it was our first time doing this section on 4th of July. Typically we don't, and we just did it because it worked out. And and I think we were in an area of the river that was kind of one of those busy areas. So, but um, but no, I think it's those, that's a good take. I like how you said it. I mean, basically there's plenty of camps. If you don't find, if you, you know, if the one you want is taken, I mean, there's going to be another one. There's going to be another one. And if it gets late at night and there's one group of four or six people, I'm certain if you walked up with a smile and a cold beer and said, can we go down behind those trees past you? And, and, uh, it, it, there's, there's an understanding that as it. long as you don't start lighting fireworks, shooting guns, totally. pounding booze and being a fool. Exactly. Yeah. That was the. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking us down. And it's just interesting because, you know, and I think there's different levels of of this around the country. We've talked about some of this from, say, like the Salmon River in New York, you know, where they're shoulder to shoulder fishing for steelhead or whatever, or salmon, and that everybody has the busy times of the year. But it's cool. I love that pro tip you gave us earlier that, uh, you know what I mean, get started later in the day and you're probably going to miss some crowds. Guaranteed. It works every time. Good. All right. You'll avoid the problem. Perfect. Well, so we talked a little bit about the river. Let's, you know, the lodge itself. So your lodge, I think, has it won two of the Orvis Awards? Talk about that. Yeah. Like what, what yeah. Um, how did you guys, um, you know, how did you get there where you're winning the awards? And then also talk about what, if somebody wants to come with you and connect and maybe get a day or a, a whatever a week on the river with you, how would they do that? Yeah, sure. So um, when I came on board, we had already won one in 2007, uh, Orvis Doris Fly Fishing Lodge of the Year. Um, my goal was to win another one. It took four years to do that. We did that primarily by working with Orvis, like we talked earlier, and learning what other lodges do that's successful. Maybe one example would be, Dave, we used to, when I came on board, every morning the guides would pick out 30 flies and we put it on the guest bill. Well, you know, you do that for two or three days and you got a bill for 120 flies and the guest checks out and says, I don't even, where are my flies? Right. So we nixed that. And that was a great suggestion Orvis did. Let's not nickel and dime the people. Include the cost in uh, this stay. And every day our guides get to pick out 12 flies a day and they accumulate those over the over the years and seasons. And, and that works to provide them what they need. And the other thing with Orvis is they have a review system. And the more we got our guests to submit reviews and positive reviews, that really gets their attention. The other way to win that award with Orvis, if uh, any of my Orvis endorsed peers are out there, is play nice with Orvis. Promote their products. Call and communicate with them. Special order things for your guests. Yeah, use them as a resource. They're there. I mean, and the cool thing about Orvis is, is you know, I can call and talk to per- Perkins or Dave Perkins right. or Simon, who yep. I've been they're They're very approachable. They're super supportive. They really want, you know, it's a win-win for both of us when people have positive experience. So yeah, it is. that's how we, we won the, uh, the award in 2014. And we're going for it again right now. We really want to try to. Oh, nice. Spend, almost 10 years we'd like to get that we'd like to get that award that acknowledgement and it does uh it's a nice breath of wind into our sails for sure that's perfect awesome so so yeah so if people want to come in i guess like you said the uh the tlapc.com they can just check in there and or send you an email directly 
Absolutely. Um, they can call us, of course. We always like visiting with people so we can kind of get their idea uh, and expectations into check. And and we're always around. I've got a great young man, Shade, who's been, he's 30 years old. He's been with us. He's 15, worked every position. He's out there rowing the boat right now. He's our reservation guy. He's our fly shop purchaser. He's very knowledgeable in what's happening every single day as we put those 12 boats out and the guides are in there chitter-chattering about what worked where and when. So we have uh, up-to-the-minute knowledge. Uh, our website's a great place to get an idea of what the lodge uh, is like. We accommodate 26 people. We're all inclusive. You know, we pride ourselves in being a second home to people. I've got amazing staff, great two great chefs that make delicious food, breakfast and dinner, unique small cabins we have 13 cabins and different configurations for groups one right on the river with a deck over the river our a-frame very very popular magical place to spend the evening having a cocktail before or after dinner wow fun party room so (laughs) we're available um we've uh we've got our website of course our email as uh, you may have mentioned earlier my personal email uh, i'm always available to answer questions and then palisades at tlapc.com get you into our reservation and special request department and answering questions kind of thing that's awesome and like you said you on the website yeah you have some resources updates you have a daily kind of uh, what's going on fishing report is that kind of a weekly or monthly report every thursday my good friend chris jensen who's a father like you and i have two beautiful kids been a guide for us for many years now has an seo company but he's out here fishing his family's got a cabin on the river here so oh, he wow. produces our uh, fishing reports every thursday you can sign up for that on our website We've got a newsletter sign up as well. We don't hammer people with that uh, too much information. We just certainly don't sell that list to anybody, but it's a great way to know what's going on around here and uh, when it's going on and what to expect. That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. There's some killer resources. That's a good, you know, whether people are going to be calling you or swinging by on their own, there's, it sounds like there's a ton of resources and and, uh, and yeah, this has been good. Anything else? What, what, you know, I, I got a little random bonus segment. We're going to take us away here, but anything else on the fishing, anything else you want to throw out there that we missed or any other highlights throughout the year? No, Dave, I, I feel like we kind of covered a lot of information fairly quickly. We want everybody to call us, whether you're staying with us or not. We want to promote fly fishing. It makes the world a better place. We've got an incredible resource here. It's not overused. It's something to share with everybody. You'll be a better person when you come out fly fishing on the South Fork of the Snake. Let us help you. There you go. Perfect. And and I'll, um, I'll mention that uh, I think you guys had, was it uh, the new fly fisher was out there? Did they do a, a kind of a YouTube? Yep. Mark Melnick did a couple episodes out here. I got another young man here right now from Cut Bow Media. He's making a YouTube video for us. So yeah, check out our YouTube channel. I've really learned that this is becoming a more and more common resource, even for uh, older guys and girls. It is. Yeah, I think YouTube's huge. This is it. So, all right, well, let's take it away here uh, with a little bit of a random segment, and these are pretty easy ones. You've given us some pro tips already, 
but let's take it back. I, I'm always interested in the boats. So what, what's your boat, you know, drift boat? I'm assuming it's all, is it all drift boats that you guys run? Yeah. Yeah. We run, we run our outfit here kind of favors Clackacrafts. Um, they just have that warranty on the bottom. That boat flexes well. We've got the configuration now where you can put the cooler under the front seat so it balances oh, wow. that boat. We use we like to use our wooden Sawyer oars. They're light and they float. 16 footers. Right. I just got a brand new one with two seats up front for my kids and a seat in the back for my wife. We've got a distribution center in Idaho Falls with every tool, part, piece screw they oh fixed. you do that's right Huge. yeah you have idaho falls yeah i can't remember the name of the person but yeah there is a guy that's running the idaho falls for clack out there right yep john stennerson the hyde family uh, makes drift boats in idaho falls too they're fabulous boats well made well appointed sturdy row likes they I mean those hides are slick on the water they yeah. they stay in one place pretty easy totally yeah, I think it's, it seems like it's almost the rod, you know, the, the thing you hear so much about, like there isn't a bad rod, you know, with all these different rods, they're True. all pretty much good. And drift boats seem to be the same way. I mean, I know I had an old drift boat back, I think it was like an eighties boat, you know, but I used to run it and it was just not good. The design wasn't as good as the current. So I think they all tweak their designs, but it feels like now they're all pretty much pretty amazing designs. They are. They got dimples on the bottom. They channel the water from the back to the rower seat underneath. It's it's interesting, the hydrodynamics that, that they've come up with, but they've made them very sturdy. We like low-profile boats here to address the wind on an everyday oh, guiding right. basis. Yeah. High, high siders. I got a couple of these guides that, I, that are truly amazing. They prefer a high-side boat because they fish i shouldn't i shouldn't probably they'll flick me in the head for saying this but a couple stud guides that fish these hydraulics and boils most of us avoid oh. these guys are deep nymphers they tie their own very proprietary special nymphs and man they get them that's where this big uh, huge cutty i mentioned to you yesterday came out of the river with one of my gotcha. high, high side boil guides Oh, wow. So that's the thing. So you got the low side, which is great for wind, or even the, what are the other, the pram, not prams, but you know, the low um, skiffs. skiffs. There's, a, there's a skiff out there, a new skiff company up in Idaho Falls. Brandon Murphy, our good buddy from West Bank Anglers over in Jackson, started, took the, he didn't start it. He, Carter's Anders kind of first put this boat on the water and got it famous. And now Brandon's doing it now out of Alpine. Low, simple, light. You know, bathtub sit only boats. They work. Yep. They're, they're great for outfitting in, in this area. Yeah, they work. And that's, and part of it is I think that's the big thing is do you have a lot of white water that you're going through? Then you probably want to go with something with, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be higher sides, but like you're saying, the guys that are in that, that boils and white water, you definitely don't want a low sided boat. Yep. Yep. We don't, you know, many of us stay away from anything that could be challenging. But there's a few guys because they know we stay away from those points from a safety perspective. They'll go in there with their high sides and dangle and drop some nymphs in there and they just get them. And it takes a lot of talent, confidence, and experience. And Josh Jablo and Buck Leonard, a couple of these guys that we have that have the experience and the knowledge to get them in there. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. Do you like a, as far as rods and the line setup, do you, do you like a, are you more like what, four or five, six weight? What, what's your, what's your weight? Yep. I like uh, five, six weights for this area. 
You know, the thing I've really got into is these 10 foots, you know, comes from mending with a, a nymph rig or a dry dropper rig. They get them in there. They lift that line a little easier. They cast higher in the drift boat to help alleviate dudes from the nervousness of hooking somebody. But yeah, primarily five and six weights. Six weights, if you had one rod, it'd be a six weight. Six weight. And you're yep. saying six six weight, 10 foot rod? I'd probably say a nine. If you if you had to stick with one rod here, I'd go with a nine foot six weight. You can throw a streamer. You can throw your double dries your nymph rigs you can you know throw some worms and some eggs if you need to it's just and a big dry fly that's yeah and the wind perfect exactly right you guys get a little bit of wind out there for sure it's it's the deal yeah with especially the reservoir and the cool water above us every morning it's windy here i'd love a four weight for right now in the afternoon oh deep bend there and the casting and and it's a big river, you know, you're, you're going to want to be proficient to 40 feet if you can, 30, 30 feet, which is longer than most people think, you know, yep, it's, it is, we don't need do any 50, 60, none of that saltwater no. distance stuff. You just, with the current, you just don't get a drift. Oh, right. You gotcha. Okay. And then, you know, you mentioned the, the dry dropper, what's your typical just leader setup? Is that pretty standard? Like how, how long is that typically? Yeah, we do a probably, if you're a nine-foot rod, probably a six or seven-foot 2X leader to a big dry fly, and then 4X hanging off the uh, bend of the hook to the to the nymphs. That's it. Yep. And then you got yeah. your nymphs going down. Perfect. Yep. What is, uh, so I'm just talking just generally on the area. I know you guys, sounds like you have some good food. What would be, if somebody's coming up to that area, some part of you know eastern idaho is there a, a food uh, something you'd recommend if they, on, after a long day they swing by and catch some uh, some good food that sort of thing <laughs> yeah you bet i mean that's a that's another segment i'm a yeah. foodie so right, I'm, into, I'm into that kind of thing but you know we've got here in swan valley we've got one uh, particular restaurant the snake river roadhouse they do oh, nice. a great job pizzas kind of a standard bar fare quality quick you can eat inside you can eat outside Heisey hot springs uh has a hot springs golf course down in the lower canyon they do great pizzas and sandwiches there simple food perfect um you jump over into victor about 30 miles from here and there's all sorts of killer sushi barbecue Mm. joints thai food we're a bedroom community to jackson hole 18 miles away right in the actually in the valley right here where the lodge is, there's not a lot of options. Of course, we're available. Oh, so you can stop in. So somebody can just stop in for dinner. Well, I wouldn't say stop in because we have a set menu, a set number of guests. We like to get a day or two heads notice. But to call us up, we've got a great menu, great dining room deck, sit outside. Um, we can be available certainly pre and post season more often than peak season when most of our chairs are full. Love sure. to have you. Okay. Alpine, perfect. Wyoming, on the other side of Palisades Reservoir, has some cool restaurants to the Bull Moose. Okay. Um, nice. The Norwegian place. So, yeah. Sticking in my memory, really cute place. And you said foodie. What does that mean? You're a foodie. That means you just uh, you love food, or you you're. I guess you have chefs that work for you too. So that's. We do. Yep. I have been a chef many years. Oh yeah. Um, right, right. As I right. mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, um, worked with. Uh, you know, that's where I met Dick Cheney catering oh, really? over in Jackson Hole. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And uh, he's been here a, a plenty. No, oh, that's right. He was, he was a, yeah, he's a fly angler, right? Is that, is oh, that? Passionate. Oh, oh Dick's man, a that's big, right. yeah, he's super into it. 
uh, poor guy's not doing so good. We haven't seen him for a while, but you know, I could tell you stories of when he was in office and we'd take him down the river and the, then the debauchery of secret service helicopters and boats. And- oh, wow. So you dealt with that. You, you, so oh, Dick, yeah. so Dick's oh, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. What, what is that? Because I, we did one, I can't remember who it was, but it was the, the company that took Obama out, right? On okay. the story. And they remember them saying like they had to, just the planning for it, right? I mean, you had to like locked in. I can't remember how, I think it, what happened is Obama didn't even do the trip because it became such a lockdown on the river. Oh, bummer. Yeah, Dick was very firm to have the least amount of impact on the public as possible. They would stop up the boat ramp for the, while he got his waiters on and his buddies got in the boat. But we all made sure that it was as little impact on the public as possible. There was, I was in a secret service boat most of those days. No we kidding. A hundred yards behind him, a hundred yards above him. There was a photographer drift boat. There were sheriff jet boats around the corner out of sight that oh, had wow. attorneys and nurses and Damn. ammunition. Right. And, oh man. So did they did you know? I mean, who was the one with your outfit leading up the like the, the main person in charge? Was that you or was it somebody else? Back in those days, that was my guiding days. So Mike Bean uh was his guide, still is his guide. Saw Mike uh, out in the river a couple of days ago. And he would coordinate what sections that all had to be kept secret. We didn't know where we'd go until the morning we showed up and everybody got their boat sniffed by dog and went through. And, uh, you know, once you pass that thing, which happened every time, then you, uh, sit and wait and then you head down the river and, 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 uh, try to give him his space and his place. There was a lot of crazy stuff was going on in those days. The Iraq war, Georgia, remember got invaded one, the country one year and he had to make a satellite phone call to the Canyon wow. and they couldn't get a connection. And the, I believe it was the Navy was moving satellites so that we could get a better line of sight. From Holy his phone. cow. I mean, it, and the stories go on wow. and on. It's Amazing. And the the assets they would use, the people on horseback following us down the river that we never saw, dudes sitting on the bank in the middle of the canyon. There'd be some guy with a spin rod and four coolers and no boat, no nothing. Right. And you'd think, what is that? Oh, oh, that's a guy. He's got guns and bullets and radios. And they all had code talk that they would talk about when a boat got too close or a car came on the road i almost saw some folks get shot one time no kidding oh yeah i'll never forget it you I mean, saw I'll, guns drawn they pulled the guns out it was a red chevy s10 with tinted windows the whole we were fishing this bank right next to the road at the end of the canyon and somehow this car got by and the guy said justin turn the boat i need to get a clean shot and he's pulling out this m4 wow. and racking it and i'm thinking i, I almost pooped my pants holy I, I crap it's gonna go down this guy pulled out a uh yeah just this whatever small machine gun yeah the small one and if i, I don't know a ton about guns, but I'm sure it had a suppressor. They were chattering on radios and like some cool space phone, all in code, red eagle blue, red eagle blue, right. sniper nine coming in left side, south. We need a- <laughs> They were freaking out. And I thought as soon as I hear him click that safety off, I was going to jump off the side of the boat and just hang on with one hand. Right. Yeah, you're but out luckily, of there. 
one of their Humvees came up and pushed that person along, and I'm certain it was just a nice family oh, yeah. that no saw five boats piled up on a bank and yep. was wondering what was going on. But I remember this the I remember the the one guy in the back of my boat said to the guy in the front, take out the window first. Oh my god. And I'll take out the the person or whatever the, the, the subject or whatever it was. My heart sh- just shot through the roof. But oh my god. it all ended well. Yeah, it all, right. That's the story. Yeah. That's the that's the crazy. <laughs> you know, when I hear that story, that is an amazing story. You know, the the thing I think about is like, wow, would I want to ever be at that level? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, what would that be for you? Would you ever want to be at that? Like, you know, there's no. lots of yeah. No, Dick didn't like it either. You know, I was able to also go on some of his overnight trips and cook for he and his buddies. Oh wow! And you know, I I have a very memory burned in my brain late at night everybody went to bed and the vice president was sitting in his chair staring at the fire and right behind him was a very large secret service agent with his back to the vice president staring out into complete darkness for an hour looking for any threat right and the amount of resources they had to keep the vice president safe and knowing what was going on sending men to war at that point in time it weighed heavily on him i think a lot of people thought maybe he was made of steel he's not he's a family man grandfather and i i, I know a different side of uh, vice president cheney than i think a lot of people do he is a conservationist he's a passionate fly fisherman he loves this resource he's a wyoming man boy um the mountain guy and he loves it out he loves fly fishing and, and, and so loves cool. the resource that's yeah. so cool yeah i yeah. think that that's the thing that you know people don't realize is like man all those people you know for the most part they're they're taking one for their you know for the country right i mean he you know they love true. the country it's like you know and i I'm, i've just been wa- kind of watching this documentary on ben franklin recently you know and it's like it's it's the same similar thing man when you hear the guy's life story you realize like oh my god the guy didn't make all the right choices you know he and not, like nobody does but he kept trying to improve himself you know and i think that that's and for the country again like he did the things for you know this country because we all love it you know for the same stuff that we're talking about today being able to have a free floating section with public lands right and be able to do that that's i think i'm sure cheney i'm just guessing that he's all for that right dave i think you're spot on yes yep tough decisions to make tough when they influence so many others but at the end of the day i believe Many of these people, like Cheney, were not in it for themselves. They were looking for the greater good of of our citizens, and I, I respect the guy for that. And Ben Franklin, too, frankly, right? Exactly, Ben Franklin. It's uh, shout out to Ked Birds, by the way. If people don't know about the Ked Birds uh, documentaries, that guy has got some good ones out there. So. Cool, Justin. Well, I think I'll leave it there. We I had a few more random, but I think I can't surpass uh, the M4 and Dick Cheney. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it at that. If that sounds good to you, and we'll maybe we'll circle back around with you later this year after we get a chance to head your way. Love it, Dave. Please reach out to me when you get out here. I appreciate the opportunity being with you and talking to your listeners. Be well, everybody. Be well, Dave and family. And I look forward to putting some eyeballs on you this fall. Justin Hayes on Traveled, part of the Wet Fly Swing Podcast and Swing Outdoors. This podcast was supported by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory. You can support this podcast and Eastern Idaho by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now. That's T-E-T-O-N. 
and uh, and check in there with any of the brands, businesses there, and let them know you heard of us and them through this podcast. Don't forget to check in with me if you have any areas you'd like us to travel to in the future. You can send me an email anytime, dave at wetflyswing.com. If you're new and you are just listening in, and this is also a good way to check in if you have any other feedback uh, as we move ahead. That is dave at wetflyswing.com. Would love to hear from you, especially if you've never checked in or it's been a little while. Before we get out of here, let's take a quick peek at... At, we haven't done this in a little while, the uh, Yellowstone Teton website. Let's do that really quick. I want to plug it in right now into wetflyswing.com slash Teton. Let's see, what's, let's see what we got here. Anything new has changed. Um, well, let's do something really quick. This is really cool because we got, I know the Lodge of Palisades Creek. So we're just looking around. Where can you chill out this summer? That's the first question. That is a good question. Um, I'm just looking at upcoming events, and there are some good events coming up here. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to go into accommodations. I don't think we looked at accommodations. Let's do this. Accommodations, where wilderness meets happiness in Idaho. Um, so it's broken down by all. We got we got uh, Idaho Falls. Uh, we got uh, Island Park. Everything's broken up. We talked about this before by different areas. Let's just start in uh, Idaho Falls. Let's take a look at anything new that we haven't seen here in a little while. We got the Calamity Campground. We got uh, we got some lodges, some hotels on here. Um, we got the Hilton Garden Inn, and uh, we got some RV parks. Let's take a look. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we've looked at um, Idaho Falls Luxury RV Park. Let's take a look. Quick look. This is probably if you're traveling through. Obviously, through Idaho Falls, you need a place to stop. I'm going to take a look. Offers the largest payful hookups of in the region. High-speed Wi-Fi. Located adjacent to the Snake River and convenient access to I-15. Um, I and Highway 20. Secure gated. So this looks like a pretty... If you need something right off the road, um, this is probably the place. I'm going to click on their website here. Idaho Falls Luxury RV Park. Yep. And they got everything. Access. There's the river. I got their different. Yeah, it's just basically a nice big RV park. There's some reviews here. Okay, good. So there's one. So if you got a big RV, you're looking for a place to stop into out there. That's one. Let's take a quick peek. What else do we have here? Buffalo Campground. Let's take a look at Box Canyon Campground. We haven't, I know we haven't looked at that. This looks really cool. Okay. So this is... The Box Canyon Campground is situated on the canyon rim above Henry's Fork of the Snake River. There you go. On the canyon rim right above the Henry's Fork. That's pretty cool. There are 16 single and two double units, each having 10 camper pads, fire rings, grills, a picnic, campsites near the rim, shaded lodge pole pine, Douglas fir. Okay, so this is really cool. I'm going to zoom in. Is there a website? There isn't a website. Oh, yeah, there is a website right here. I'm going to go to it. And it's the Forest Service. So Box Canyon, so USDA Forest Service. They've got some stuff at a glance, single site. There you go. So I'm on a Box Canyon campground right above the Henry's Fork. Definitely a good place. Let's see. Is it first come, first serve? Uh, I'm not sure on that. Ashton, Idaho is 27 miles south of Box Canyon campground. So it looks like if you're near Ashton, this would be a good place to hit the forest, which again, this is what's cool about this. This is all forest land out there, which is nice. 
All right, I think I'm going to leave that there for now. That was a nice little uh, RV looking at some campgrounds. Um, There's also on the website events calendar, lots of good stuff. And I think I'm going to leave it right there and let us get out of here. I don't want to take too much of your time. So next time you are looking to uh, check out the Road Less Travel, stop in at Traveled here uh, on the podcast anytime. And I appreciate you for checking in on the podcast today and look forward to catching up with you soon.